Welcome to the Space of the Waste, featuring host Melody Edmondson. Do you struggle with the right look to complement your body shape? Have you tried so many different looks and styles only to be disappointed time and again? You've landed on the right program. We'll show you how to make the right style work in your favor. Now, here is Melody Edmondson. Welcome to the Variety Channel. I am your host, Melody Edmondson. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Space of the Waste here Tuesdays at 12 or 1, depending on the time of year, but it's Pacific Standard Time, uh, to the Space of the Waste. If you have missed other episodes, please go to www.voiceamerica.com, and all you have to do is put the Space of the Waste, W-A-I-S-T, on the line where it says search, and you will find our shows and you will find our episodes, and you can tune into any of them that we've had over the past year, because we only started this year. Uh, If you need a visual of your body shape and your particular waist length, please go to Pinterest under the space of the waist and you will find body shapes, circle, square, hourglass, inverted triangle, rectangle, uh, triangle, and... um, the waist links, uh, balanced waist, short waist, and long waist. And I have them abbreviated BW, SW, and LW. So you can find your silhouettes that you will look beautiful in. And uh, especially for those of you who are long-waisted and short-waisted, we know that you have a very, very difficult time finding your clothing that fits you perfectly because of the seam at the waist or the self belt. It would just be so much better if there were no seams at the waist and no self belts at all, because you can always add a belt if you're long waisted or balance waisted. But if you're short waisted, you just can't buy that silhouette, no matter what it is. So my am encouraging everyone to look for the waistless dresses and waistless tops. I would like to encourage everyone that is listening today to buy book one on Amazon.com by initial C. Melody Edmondson, E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N, the English way. And there is an initial C because there are a million Melody Edmondsons, believe it or not, but there aren't any other initial C, Melody Edmondson. So that's why we have that. It doesn't stand for Contessa. I've been asked. It's not. (laughs) The guidebook is book one, Your Fashion Guide, based on body shape and the space of the waist. And I'm going to explain again what that space of the waist is in case you're a new listener. You have to put your bra on and at the bottom of your bra band, down underneath your rib cage, where your waist nips in the most, that space is how much space in your waist that you have. Okay? Bottom of the bra band, down to where your waist nips in. I happen to have three and a half inches and I'm five, seven and a half. That means I'm very, very, very short-waisted. So you can imagine, I can't believe it took me so many years uh, to write these books. But my little story is, and it happens to be true, and I know how you love stories, is uh, I was in a tornado in Dallas and they told us that we were going to definitely be hit. And so I grabbed these two young children that were traveling to Colorado to um, see their mother after visiting their father. And I had to get, of course, approval from the uh, hostess and everything else, the, excuse me, the airline provider. And <clears throat> anyway, she called the mother. The mother said, if Matthew said I could do it, I could do it. So I bought them pillows, bought them water, bought them whatever they wanted to eat in the store and magazines and whatnot. And we went into the ladies' bathroom. We closed the stall and we decided we would pray. So we did the Lord's Prayer. We said the Lord's Prayer. And then I said, okay, 
Let's go around because we only probably have, according to my radar, about four minutes before it's going to hit us, which, by the way, it did hit Dallas Airport, but it only hit the airplanes uh, that were not in flight and that were over to the right. So when we, uh, after we said our prayer, I said, what does everybody want to do? Let's say by the freak accident that we are missed and that God spares our lives. What are we going to do? Let's let's say exactly what we're going to do that we haven't done up until this point. And mind you, I'm, I'm talking to 10-year-old and a six-year-old. So here's what we came up with. Matthew says, okay, I know what I'm going to do is try out for baseball. I know I'd be good. I was just too chicken. And I say, okay, I'm going to hold it to you. You got to give, gotta give me your uh, email. Then I asked a little girl what she was going to do. And she says, I'm just going to be kinder to my mother and more loving because sometimes I'm just a brat. And I said, okay. So Matthew goes, Mrs. Edmondson. I said, please don't call me that. Call me Melody. So Matthew goes, well, Melody, what are you going to do? And I said, well, what I'm going to do, there are two things I'm going to do. One is that I'm going to write a series of books about body shape and the space of the waist about waistly because I'm short-waisted and I have long-waisted friends and short-waisted friends. And I, I can't think of too many people except for the late Anne H that had a perfectly balanced body. There are a few others out there, maybe you, Whitney, but it certainly wasn't my friends. They were either short-waisted or long, way long-waisted with really short legs. So I'm going to write these books. And the other thing that I'm going to do is I want to get together all my shorty sisters that I went to college with, and I want to get together in Kansas City and have a great big reunion. Well, I can say today, my book has been on Amazon since 2014, and I was putting all over LinkedIn, the fashion revolution has started. And so I'm still going strong in 2020 to do 2022. And today I have Whitney Cathart from CD Look that is in the forefront of this fashion revolution. She has co-founded along with Vadim, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, uh, 3D Look, which is a body scanning and uh, visual fit and try on fashion uh, items that you tech, it's technology, it's AI and tech that transforms the fashion industry. And this is exactly what we needed, especially since COVID and all the returns and with sustainability, and all of this polyester going into landfill. I want Whitney to introduce her. I'm going to introduce Whitney, but I want her to talk to you about how she got into this wonderful technology and business, because I know she has a lot of retail experience. And welcome, Whitney Cathcart. Well, thank you for having me, Melody. You are welcome. I love hearing your stories, and I love always chatting with somebody who has been in the industry on the fashion side and understands all of the complexities that go into making our clothing and why it is so hard for things to fit us. And by the way, I'm super short. I'm like, I am shrinking as I get older, but I still say I'm 5'3", even though I I, I feel like I'm so tall. <laughs> You're not? Well, I generally have three or four inch stilettos on and I have been walking around in them since my early days in the in New York City on 7th Avenue, which is where I started. And so, yeah, so buying clothing and I have a very short waist So buying clothing for me has actually always been pretty difficult. I always have to take up my pants. Buying denim is impossible. Um, and you'd think by now they'd understand the opportunity for, you know, people that are shorter with short waists or even taller with short waists. Well, you you'll have to look up Eva de Jesus, so who, is, who is going to be on my show very soon. And we've already recorded. And she is 
almost exactly like that in size. And she uh, designs and makes clothing. And she's, I'm trying to talk her into doing a line and a complete collection and even items for the petite short-waisted, not petite particularly, but shorter because petite fits barely anybody, she said. And so, because, you know, a lot of petites still have longer arms and longer legs. She has pretty long legs especially when you're short-waisted. You have a tendency to have longer legs than most people your height. Okay, so I won't interrupt you. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy story because I did what most people don't do, which is late in my career, um, after a 30-year career on the business and manufacturing side of fashion, where I'd always worked in kind of large companies, I took a giant risk and actually left my, you know, cushy fashion job where I was an executive. And I became a co-founder in a technology startup. Now, most of the world who, particularly people that have actually done tech startups will understand the amount of work and hours that go into it. And now I get why people do startups in their 20s and 30s and not in their 50s. I think I was um, 51, actually, when when I uh, joined Fadim. Rogofsky is his um, last name. And there's a third co-founder, Ivan, who is our uh, neural net genius, PhD, and our chief science Wow. you got a yeah. good so, group going. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story because I, um, I you know, grew up in the fashion. Actually, I didn't grow up in the fashion industry. I kind of landed in it um, after college in New York. And I took a job as a sales assistant for um, a, a huge global billion-dollar a licensing company in the luxury space um, called GFT Apparel Group. And that's where I got my start. And we did all the licensing for Valentino and Armani and Ungaro. And um, it was was really a fabulous job. And I was not a fashionista, even though my grandmother made beautiful ball gowns and she was an artist and a a designer. And I have photos somewhere in here of just these magnificent um, drawings that she used to do. So it obviously was in the blood, but I didn't go to school thinking I was ever going to be in the fashion industry. Nevertheless, I landed in New York City and I was working for this huge company around all these incredibly well-dressed men and women in the late 80s. And we sold all the fabulous stores that don't exist anymore today, sadly, the few that are Neiman's, Bergdorf's, I mean, Bendel's was still around back then. I Magnum, you know, for your listeners that, you know, grew up shopping in these wonderful um, legacy stores that just don't exist anymore. So I had a pretty um, amazing couple of years of just learning what the industry was about. And then I spent the bulk of my career um, working, I moved west. I moved to uh, San Francisco, and I spent the bulk of my career working in mostly women's. I did a stint in kids, um, but uh, apparel, where I worked for large manufacturers and brands, and um, we made we made did a ton of private label. And I've worked with um, buyers from, you know, Macy's to, you know, Walmart and Target and everybody in between and have done some really cool stuff with licensing with celebrities and licensing for Disney. And so I had a very cool career and I kind of worked my way up and um, was a very good merchant. I had an eye for future for trends, really with no data, because we didn't have data back then. But I was a good merchant, and I really loved the industry, and I loved touching things. And I was kind of grew up in the industry when we were still actually doing a lot of manufacturing domestically. Uh, And I was around for kind of the, you know, rise of the teen mall, the rise of fast fashion, the the decade that everything kind of moved to, uh, you know, China and Vietnam. So I've been around a lot and in, um, gosh, it must have been 2000, uh, 
13-ish, 14-ish, you could just, I don't know, I there you could see a shift if you watch shopping behavior. And I had um, kids who were probably in, I don't know, fifth grade, sixth, seventh grade back then. So iPhone was 2007. There were, you know, companies like um, then Facebook, now Meta, um, that were, you know, really changing um, kind of social, right? So uh, advent of Instagram, right? Um, so it was kind of early social media, but you could see, I could see this shift in how people were going to shop. If you just kind of sat in malls or you really looked at like my kids and their friends, everything was happening on phones, right? So for me, it was a really interesting opportunity. And I was so kind of, I don't know, burnt out by our industry and how archaic it was. And the fact that, you know, my design and merchandising teams would literally be cutting out pieces of fabric and colors and sticking them on pin boards. And when we traveled to New York, which we went every month or around the world, we were carrying our bags with just binders of fabrics and sketches. It just felt so analog. And it was. And I had the experience of being introduced to um, 3D design. So basically taking, you know, a 2D pattern into 3D um, and being able to you know, I mean, this was really early, right? Early 3D, but drape it and look at it on a model. And for me, it was like, oh my God, this would save so much time and money. And I'm looking at the amount my design costs are for every time the designers wanted to change a garment or, you know, add an inch here, an inch there, we'd have to recut a sample. And I just honestly was like, I'm going to, I want to spend the back half of my career working into doing something that was actually going to bring this industry that I love so much into the future. And so I literally did what most people thought I was crazy to do. And I took a huge risk and I just left my, you know, my role. I was president of a company at the time and I left my role and I spent about two years really just doing, I, well, I did a lot of consulting work, but I was super interested in AI and 3D and immersive technology. So think augmented reality, virtual reality, ex, mixed reality. These, these, these types of technologies are certainly more prevalent today, but back then, you know, most people had no idea what this was. And I took courses at MIT and all this stuff. And I got myself dangerous enough to know more than generally most, you know, CEOs that were sitting at the or the executive suite and these big brands and retailers. And one of the things I was looking at was kind of where did I think the industry in totality would be in a decade? So, you know, this was 2016, 17. So I was looking at 2025, 26, kind of the, the back half of this decade. And I was looking at um, what was going to be automated and where were we going to be going in the future of shopping and commerce. And I was, it was literally started at the beginning of the ecosystem, which is design. How do we conceptualize our designs? But how are we going to do that in the future? Um, fit, fit technology, right? It was early still, like e-com was still a, a small percent of total retail, but if you looked hard enough and if you kind of peeked around corners, you could see it was going to become a big problem because we had spent our whole lives being able to walk into a department store or, or a retailer or a brand, but walk into a store, like something, have no idea what size, pick two or three sizes off the rack, go into the fitting room and buy the size that you felt you looked best in. So it maybe wasn't even the right size, but it was the size that you felt good in. And there's so much of fashion that is emotional, right? There's such a psychological piece that, that pushes us to decide to purchase or not. Um, and so for me, really looking at where we were going to go and how fit tech could actually, if it were done properly, really help shape the future. And anyway, I was looking at all sorts of things, robotics and manufacturing and last mile delivering, blah, blah, blah. But I spent several months um, 
looking at at researching technology companies that were all early stage around the world. And 3D Look had a article in um, VentureBeat and I read it and I reached out to now my co-founder, Vadim, who was on his way to San Francisco um, because it, it was very, there was very early stage. The company had just a few people in it. 2000? I mean, wow. This was 2017. So, so okay. The company was founded in 2016. So Ivan and Vadim founded the company in 2016. I met and joined them in 2017. And what I loved about it, it was a very early, barely working MVP, minimum viable product for those of you out there that um, need a little help with the acronyms. And, but what I really loved about the vision that they had was that it was a mobile for, it was going to be a mobile first technology. And what I saw immediately was the data play. And I kind of remember looking at them and thinking, if you guys can actually do this, and we were intersecting three different technologies around AI and 3D, and basically the way our tech works and what our patent is, is a consumer takes a front and a side photo of themselves. And it's super quick. And now we've, you know, we've gotten like six years later, it's actually like the coolest thing ever. But back then it was like, you know, super clunky. But you take a front and side photo. We identify key points of your on your body through our computer vision algorithms. We build an actual avatar of you, a 3D model of you. And once we have that 3D model, we compute measurements. And back then I think there were six measurements. And the whole thing was you know, not very accurate. But what I saw was an opportunity there that if it could be accurate and if we could collect enough data and we could actually spin off accurate measurements and 3D models, that that data to be able to put people in the right size clothing and understand what customers look like could change the way we design. And that's yes. super interesting. Absolutely. Now, when you say data, data, you mean these body shapes, waist lengths, or whatever the fits and bodies are, you were able to keep that and the person that was buying? Yes. Yeah, so our, tech, our, our product, which is called Your Fit, by the way, uh, does really cool stuff now. But what our product, Your Fit, does is we sell it directly to retailers. So we are a B2B2C company because we retailers and brands pay us for the software, but the user is you or me or anybody shopping is the user of it. So the way it works is if I go onto the product page of my favorite brand, um, you know, who am I wearing a lot of right now? ALC. I love ALC. Yes. I go to their website. I get see a beautiful dress I want to buy. And we would have a widget there that says, um, get your size and see it on you. Back then, I think it was like, get your fit or I don't know. We've changed it over the years based on feedback, but um, and survey data. Uh, but you click that and it opens right up into our experience. And we walk you through taking that front and side photo. It takes, it's super quick and we've gotten really good about it now. And we've built all this like deep tech into it that literally understands um, if you're too close to the phone, if you're too far from the phone, if you're wearing a face mask, our computer vision algorithms actually detect that and we'll okay. actually ask you to take it off. So it's, it's pretty sophisticated now. Yeah. But where I saw the opportunity, because coming out of the industry at a merchant level, you always you fit your brand on a on a fit form, a fit model, a mannequin. Um, Melody, I'm sure you understand this. And then you sit, you standardize your own brand through that fit form, and you grade up and you grade down, and that's how you know that's how the mm -hmm. factory takes your patterns and creates the garments, right? But that works for a very small percent of the planet. Yes, because it's all balanced waisted, and it's all based on the 1951 fit model that's seven inches from the bust down to the waist. I know I've and I've collected them and measured them. <laughs> Right. And it's so interesting to me. And I, I go back to um, a company that I worked for in 2013, like 14, or 15, and we did tons of private label for 
two, uh, like three of the largest retailers on the planet. And I won't name them, but two of them, right? We had, you know, my design teams literally had to purchase mannequins in their sizes and the great and what's called jump sets. And retailer A and retailer B, and these, these forms are very expensive, like many, many, many thousands of dollars. Retailer A had a form and retailer B had a form. Now, these forms were off by about maybe a half an inch, an inch in certain places on that form. Now, I used to say to myself, how on earth does this retailer know that this is what their customer looks like and this retail? And they didn't. They had no idea. It was just their fit, but it would cost me as a manufacturer. I had to take a garment, but I had to fit it totally. Two ways instead of. Yeah. So it like, it literally never, it was not logical. Right. And I'm not a scientist, but it it just like, it didn't make sense. Right. So what I saw with 3D look was the opportunity to be able to collect this body shape data and measurement data from consumers and be able to basically slice and dice that data and go back to a brand and be able to say, here's what your consumers look like by geography, like down to the state, right? Because we collect device ID. So all the data we collect is, um, is um, it's not PII, right? So I, I don't care that it's you or that it's Whitney. Right. What I care about are the shapes and the measurements, right? But and we would and we collect device ID. So we would be able to know where these people live, right? So that the idea was I could go back to a brand and say, based on your fit models, your customers look like this. And maybe they match and maybe they don't. Most of the right. time they don't. And we but yeah, you can gear them to buy up or to buy down or whatever or they need to do. Change a grading rule or or change a pattern or an opportunity to add a size, like let's think absolutely right? It was all about how do you innovate in an industry that has done the same thing the same way forever? And if you looked at other industries, if you looked at automobile, if you Anything. looked at arrow, which they change constantly and had been designing in 3d, by the way, for decades. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the apparel industry, even today is still very nascent. It's certainly oh, yeah. much better than it was even a couple of years ago. COVID has accelerated so much, but that opportunity to me was why I joined the boys. <laughs> so good for you. I think you made a wise move and I'm sure you're pushing it along with the with the push that it needs because you have spent all of that time in the industry with the women, with the clothes, and know what's going on. I knew it. I knew it when I was in New York working for a buying office for a while after I uh, divorced uh, from my first husband. And I went to New York and worked for about a decade and worked at a buying office. And we it was only the merchandise manager's because I was at Specialty Stores Association, and we have tons of small, better stores all over the world, and also bigger ones like M.M. Cone and Godchucks and some of those, and God shows at the time. Most of these stores aren't here anymore. But anyway, those ladies absolutely knew what they sold. And they know, they knew that all they needed was a 10 to a 22, or they knew that they, in this department, they only needed zero to eight. And in this department, they only needed 14 to 50. I mean, these people knew, and when you went there to do trunk shows or anything else, they knew the clients when they'd come up, they knew them by name. You know, it right. was just and very personalized. And with e-commerce, so that is yeah. the today. And that's what you can do now because you get the data. So how do we think about truly personalizing an e-commerce experience for the planet that we live in today? That's and right. the world that we live in today. Um, and and that, to me, was the most interesting opportunity. Absolutely. Sounds right. It's just so, fascinating and so right. I mean, it's a yeah. right thing to be doing. It's what we need the most of right now. It is. And with sustainability, and now you've got, I mean, you know, people didn't talk about 
how pollutant the fashion industry was. No, I no. saw it myself because I spent so much time in these huge factories and we'd go on buying trips to China and yeah. oh my gosh, the I fabric know. mills, I'd come out and just think, I could barely talk. I know. Be so many th- threads of fabric in my throat. Uh, uh, oh, I know. Ditto. I mean, what denim does, I just, the whole thing was bad, right? But nobody talked about it. Like, no, it, literally nobody talked about just it. A, I think it was a lack of awareness. The awareness connecting to the heart chakra is what I call it. And, wow. but you knew something better can be done. Something and better. thank God we are where we are today, because I think at least now, with I was speaking to Marcy Zaroff, and she was, uh, before we actually aired, we were talking about there's going to be laws that actually permit people for using certain kinds of poly-made, poly-mide, polyester, if, if it isn't something new that's been developed in the lab that is biodegradable. And even some of the information that I had collected about polyester, she told me really wasn't quite accurate because I had read that there are certain about four companies right now that are taking some polyester and nylon fabrications and they're using chemical process and going through all of this and making flakes out of it to then be woven, clean, dried, woven, knitted into other fabric. And then that is biodegradable in five to six years versus 300 to 500 years. But she wanted to, wants me to send her the names of those companies because she, she still doesn't believe even in a flake that it would probably ever disappear and biodegrade. But I also have spoken. Uh, Yeah, there's been a lot of innovation in in fabric and we'll continue to see that. Yeah, flowers, roses. I spoke to someone who's doing roses in France and then there's somebody else doing some yellow flower in Italy and somebody else, uh, banana leaves. uh, Which One of our customers has a fabric made out of rose petals. Yes, yes. Absolutely. I mean, her. That's the big deal. Instead of silk, instead of having silkworms, have rose petals. It's magnificent. Um, The name of the company is Caressed, and she's absolutely got, she's such a brilliant, innovative CEO. And she and her partner have created this brand. And is it the French company? Um, No, she's based here in the U.S. Good. Um, the brand is caressed and she's got a whole on-demand supply chain and her, you know, Love it. everything has been built around sustainability and the clothing is stunning. I mean, just beautiful. Fabulous. Yeah, I can't shout wait. out to Celeste, but. Yay, um, Celeste. A customer um, of ours for a couple of years, but it, it's interesting because, you know, fast forward to 2022 and, you know, we're a team of, I don't know, I think it's like 60. It changes on a daily basis, it seems. But we're roughly about 60 now. And, you know, we because we're such a diverse founding team, you know, Ivan is the, the PhD and the scientist and Vadim is truly the, you know, entrepreneurial spirit. And I've got the domain expertise. We're really an interesting combination of a company that has a lot of um, fashion and, and domain um, experts, as well as, you know, 3D experts, um, experts in machine learning. And where we've been able to take the product today um, also now enables a virtual try-on experience. So most of the time, you know, we started as a fit and sizing company where we would generate an avatar and compute these measurements and the consumer never saw that. They would just get a size recommendation um, unless you were like, uh, you know, a bespoke brand or you're doing mm-hmm. custom or on demand, then we can return measurements to you for okay. your customers so you can make custom clothing, which I very much believe we will see, maybe not entirely in my lifetime, but we will see many, many more companies that get rid of, I've always had a dream that this, this company 3D look would be able to eventually someday enable the fashion industry to create clothing that doesn't have a number or a letter. So a size 
right? That you would be melody size or yes. Absolutely. And, and that is, a, that it would be a huge dream to. Absolutely. Find. It would but be marvelous. You need, need measurement and shape information to do that. Right. Yep. And that's what our core tech does. There's so much that goes on the supply chain to make that, you know, able to do it mass. Um, but I, at some, there are people doing it already today. We have customers that are on demand customers. Um, but to do it at scale, um, you know, we're still a ways away from that, but it's super interesting. We, we had developed a try on technology where we can actually take, um, a ghost mannequin photo of the garment and we actually overlay it on you, on your, uh, on your actually picture. So instead of having a virtual dressing experience that's on, you know, some ugly bald headed avatar that you think looks or doesn't look like you, right? We're actually able to take that technology and in the 3D state, we wrap it around your body in the 3D state and we take body parts from your avatar. So for example, I've got a t-shirt on, but what if I wanted to um, virtually try on a cami, right? Or a tank dress. Yes. So what our technology does is it will actually remove the sleeve of my T-shirt. It'll in-paint from my avatar, my skin color. It overlays the garment and produces back to me a visual of me in that, you know, tank dress or camisole or whatever it is I wanted to try. Oh, that's fantastic. we, We enable a consumer now to have that experience of, of, of what it would be like to go into a fitting room, right? But you're doing it on your computer, on your mobile device, right? Where we all shop today. And you're able to, now when you go on a brand and you go, I wonder what size I should buy. And I wonder what that's going to look like on me. And we enable that. So we have multiple goals there, but a lot of it for the brand or the retail, obviously it's loyalty. You know, how are you, how are you acquiring customers, which today is much more expensive than a decade ago. Um, And how are you helping them to have a great fit experience? And for the environment, how do you reduce return rates? How do you stop people from buying two or three sizes of a garment and using their dressing room or their bedroom as a dressing room, right? where we've got boxes and boxes of returns sitting on our dining room tables and returns are a hassle. It's such mm-hmm. a pain in the neck. So if we can simply reduce bracketing, if we're seeing yes. an experience where you feel you trust me to say, Melody, in this dress, you're this size. And in this dress, you're that size. And you're buying that one size as opposed to buying three, <clears throat> we're already putting a dent and return rates and helping the environment, excuse me. Yes, exactly. And which is what we're trying to do. And everybody has gotten more used to purchasing online, even if you never have. I was never the kind to be able to sit down at the computer. I have like a spazzo brain to sit there quietly and put everything in and try to shop online. I'm just kind of one of those, get in the car, run up to... Phoenix, go into Neiman's, go into Saks. If it's not there, go home, you know, call New York. I saw this, I saw that, or have them call for my size or whatever. But now with COVID and actually a little bit before them, because it's quite a haul from Tucson to Phoenix, they don't really tell you that, but there's no really good places to stop on the way to go to the bathroom and get coffee and all the things I have to do two or three times on the way anywhere that's two hours away, but I did get, so I was buying online. And the only good thing I had was if a designer didn't change designers and they kept the same fit pattern, I could buy those pants, you know, or those jeans and know that it was going to work. But if they changed designers and they changed patterns, bah, done. But I became very brand conscious because of that. And I kind of was before anyway, because I only buy natural fibers. Mm -hmm. And if it's not in a natural fiber, I don't buy it because it's going to end up thrown away. I'm never going to wear it anywhere I go. So 
I got in that happened many, many, many years ago. But as far as shopping online, yeah, I do now because I, I kind of can do that and shop many, many, many places in a fraction of the time it would take to drive and go and do that. I mean, literally. Well, you and millions and millions of other people who had never shopped online began to shop online over COVID. And e com is better today than it was. It's, it's, I mean, it's going to go so far over the next decade. I mean, the experiences that will come that are driven by technology. I mean, the idea today that we have to go to a website and guess our size is like that just isn't going to be normal anymore. It will be so pervasive to mm-hmm. never have to do that or to sift through mil- literally you have millions of garments around the world, right. Um, right? And every time <clears throat> I open my Instagram feed, mm-hmm. there's another brand there that I've never heard of, right? That has a beautiful mission that has beautiful clothing. It's it's so much easier to start a brand today, much easier than it used to be back in the old days, in our days, right? I can imagine back in my day. sell it, right? You can say, you don't have to go through wholesale and go to the buyers at Neiman's or Saks and beg and go again and again and again. It was much harder today. There's so many avenues to be able to start a brand and sell it. It's expensive, but because acquiring, finding us, right? How do you mm-hmm. find, how do you get, it's, that has gotten very, very mm-hmm. expensive, but, um, you know, there's so many different ways and people have, are starting to get very, very creative in how they do it. But being that kind of authentic brand is so important today. And that's what resonates to consumers. And so mm-hmm. when you, when you acquire a consumer, when you get me as a consumer, you don't want to lose me. You want me to be that loyal customer. And so how do you make sure I'm having a great buying experience that, you know, your website is easy to navigate, um, that you are making personalized recommendations to me, that you are helping me with fit, that you are giving me tools that are driven by technology to make my experience seamless and easy. And we've made returns so simple, right? None of us, we don't want to shop in a place where it's not easy to return because we're used to it. Or pay, or pay. Right. Well, that's another, you know, usually you have to talk them into letting you return them because you could buy it somewhere else. The other thing I like and I've talked to a lot of my listeners is we like to go to a site and I'll say for myself, like Wyatt or Net-A-Porter or um, Revolve or Farfetch or somebody that has a bunch of different collections of different people. Because if you're going at the beginning of the season, of course, I have the entree to fashion trends and fashion shows and all of that. But most of my friends are younger, more like your age, and they are working and they have kids and they just say, okay, Melody, I'm going so-and-so for the holidays. What am I going to take? What What's the cool bathing suit? What's the cool jeans? What's this? What's that? Get out of your skinny jeans. Get these, get these. But they just have always depended on walking into a store and having that store through their displays and merchandise be their fashion trend. This is what I need to be wearing. So I'm just going to go there, see what they're showing, buy me some stuff, and off I go. Well, if they couldn't do that, like during COVID, and not a lot, not a hundred percent of my friends, because I still have all the friends my age and older from college and high school, they don't like to go into stores anymore because they're not quite sure about the whole COVID thing. They're just not quite certain that they might go in there and catch something and then give it to their 90-year-old mother. I'm that way as well because my mother's still living and going to be 92. And there was someone that I knew that was doing perfectly well and she was only... 60. And she and my mother went out for lunch. And this woman goes around to various assisted livings and has 
people that she sees and whatnot, and she interacts with them, she got COVID. And my mother, I was very worried she might get it, even though she's had her shots, it doesn't matter. She didn't get it, thank God. But not, you know, this is going to cause people like it's already made me think, well, it's not over yet. And, you know, she didn't die and all of that, but it's nice to not die, but it's also difficult to get sick and take that time out of your life. No matter who you are, it takes, it takes a toll on your health to get COVID. So I'm just back to, it's going to be buying online. And I don't care if they have Cirque du Soleil doing a Saks Fifth Avenue rendezvous. It isn't going to get a million people in to watch it. I just don't think so. And go shopping because um, I think times have changed. And I do think we're going to see more stores closing and we are going to see more and more purchasing online, even of the designers and even of, like you say, the custom, but they're still going to need the what is happening for the season? What am I going to wear for Thanksgiving? What am I going to be wearing for the holidays? And not have it already sold out in 10 to 12s and have only triple zeros left, you know? And we're talking about Iowa, Missouri, Kansas. Not everybody's on the coasts and can get in there and get the small sizes or the 10s. I have a very difficult time with 10s because I'm a 10 or 46. So I always go to YOX and when it comes in, I put it in my wish list. And then the first time it's marked down, it's it's mine. If it doesn't make it to the first markdown, chances are I'm going to buy it before because if I love it, yeah. I got to get it. You know, I got to get it. And some of them, because I am short-waisted and some of these dresses are chemises and if they're in cotton cruise line, I'm really lucky because a lot of that I do get more. I've, I've bought $1,200 dresses for $400. And so I'm just yippee, yippee, you know, but I'm saying groups, places that have one-stop shopping, almost like going to a mall or going to Saks and going to all the departments that you shop in, but you go to one of these Farfetch or Revolve, and then you go on there and you look at yours. What I would like to see happening on those sites are body shape, waist length, have it merchandised for people. If you are a circle, if you are a square, if you are short-waisted and one of these body shapes, just not the 742 some people have come up with, but actually six key ones, right. circle, square, hourglass, triangle, rectangle, inverted triangle, and balance-waisted, short-waisted, and long-waisted, because all the no-waists can go for the balance for the, actually, they could go for all three, but uh, the no seams at the waist and the no belts at the waist and tops for short-waisted, taller women, or even short-waisted, shorter women need leaner, longer tops because I've gone to buy tunics before. And if I buy a medium, it's not long enough for my ginormous legs, 34 inch seam or more, and my little tiny top. But it doesn't really matter if your torso is short or long. That isn't going to tell you what your waist length is, because it's only from under the bust down to the waist. And no amount of it. It is going to be a primary modifier of your body for the rest of your life, just like shoulders and hips and the shoe size, basically, which may may or may not change. I haven't had children. Some people tell me they went up two sizes. But anyway, um, the idea is if it's a primary modifier, doesn't matter how much weight you lose, you're still going to be short-waisted. Okay, so I have seen so many of my friends emaciate themselves because they don't get it that they're already thin. And the reason they can't wear just a classic jacket or a classic shirtwaist dress and have it look good is because they've got these five inches of fabric above the belt and the belt is hitting on their hips, you know, and so they just they look awful on those things and they can't figure out why they're so thin. 
and they have emaciated themselves. So I always say to them, it's not about the weight. It's about where is your waist on your body and how much space do you have from that up to your bust? And if your hips are high and you're an hourglass, you're not going to wear a belt. You're going to wear a knit that shapes you. Absolutely. Even if you're size 50 and you got 50 boobs and a 30 waist and 52 hips, get the tight knit on. That'll still look better on you than a sack. But if you're short-waisted and tall, straight lines are going to work better, especially if shoulders and boobs. Straight lines are going to work for you with no belt. Or you could put a belt on your hips if your hips aren't your widest, aren't too wide, or if you think you look appealing in it. You know, doesn't matter what I think, but if you think you look beautiful, then you do because your gut's saying, I rock this. And you may very well do rock that. Yeah. But that goes into back, the back psychology of, yes. of but you know, most people don't most people don't really know their measurements. They don't really understand body shape. And you know, that's where technology plays a role in this, particularly, you know, as exactly. And they don't even have to take their measurements because I found that to be a big negative. They don't want to take their measurements, they don't really want to know. And they say, Hey, I know what I am. I'm 40, 33, 40. You know, that's not going to change. But people don't want to take their measurements. You know, they just they really don't. don't know how to. And we did a lot of work around this in the early days, but. Um, we found in the U.S., if you ask a woman what her uh, waist measurement is, she'll tell you her jean size, which is not as a designer. That's not how you're actually <laughs> no. measuring the waist. And that's not how you're grading your garment. So, you know, there's a real there's there's a misunderstanding and understandably so about your perception of your measurements and the way a designer actually creates a garment. And unless you're, and unless you've been in manufacturing, you would never know that. So, you know, it's how are you translating that in a way that's, you know, cool and personalized in an online experience. And, and that's, you know, there are many different technologies out there not just in fit, but in, you know, style guides and, um, and search, right. So you're, you know, not having to search through a website if you want, you know, if you know specifically what you want, but yeah. actually serving up to you things that make sense to you based on, you know, your shopping habits, essentially. Yes, exactly. And I just hope that, um, women will do this, take the time to do the two scan, do the two photos, get it in there. And hopefully um, the database, once the vendors and designers, designers at every price level, at every size level, um, take this data, this data and this information and begin to manufacture accordingly. And that's what we need. That's what we need. And then the few people that do go into the stores would find the sizes that fit them. But I imagine there's going to be viewing stores. This is what I'm hearing from a lot of people. They're not going to be department stores. They're going to be viewing stores where if you want to touch and feel. But then my husband looked into it and on the John Edmondson uh, radio show that's was uh, I think it was in April, but it's it's on my site to listen to. He found that there are devices you probably already know about it that are coming onto your computer where you can actually touch and feel the fabric itself. That is in the works. They have the AI or whatever you want to call it, the technology for that. So if you want to see the hand of it, or if it's a new polyester and you want to see if it's feeling like you know, plastic or not, you can touch it and feel it. Or like the petal, the rose petal silk, if you want to feel it, there's going to be an app for that. Or hopefully it'll be right on the site, like what you're trying to do, right on the site with the brand. Yeah. So that if Again, you- there's a lot of, of you know, very interesting tech. There's a lot of really interesting people that are working on solving all sorts of interesting problems using deep tech. And 
which is why how we shop today is going to look very different in a decade. Um, you know, it looks different today than it did 10 years ago, but it's it's moved so much faster over the last couple of years. And certainly, you know, the shift to online that that COVID kind of pushed um, has, you know, really it's created more waste for brands. It's created more hassle for the consumer, people like us who are shopping. Um, and I see a big, um, I see a movement in from brands and retails who today now understand, you know, three, four, five years ago was like, yeah, returns are a problem. But honestly, Melody, we talked to brands where this is some, some of these brands we talked to have upwards of 50% return rates. So I believe like, it. Are they actually, listening to you now? Are they listening? Are they buying the app? It's it's a, I think it used to be, it was kind of like in the beginning of COVID, you didn't want to say, oh, I had COVID. There was some right. shame behind it. I think everybody, everybody knows it's a problem today. I don't have, when I talk to a brand or a retailer, it's not like, let me tell you about return rates, right? People are like, we have a return rate problem. Yeah. Right. And so how what are you doing about it? <laughs> solve it differently than, you know, the other tech company or, you know, whatever. So how do we differentiate ourselves? How are we helping consumers get through the funnel easier? How are we um, how are we engaging consumers? That's where kind of the virtual try on experience. So um, by merging those two technologies today into one solution, one product, the, we're actually giving consumers a fit experience and a try-on experience. And so when we were beta testing that, we found that consumers were spending more time on the brand website and they were looking at more PDPs because they were engaged because it's like cool to be able to see the clothing on you and you're sitting at your desk or in your bed or whatever, wherever you're shopping from. Yeah. Cool, right? That's a new experience. Two in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Or right, I'm very bad at that. Um, and so, you know, creating those experiences is, you know, having that combined experience is one of the things that differentiates us from some of the other players out there. And, yes. um, you know, so we continue to build features and and refine the technology and iterate on um, on our product and, you know, understand how consumers are using it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we have customers, it's interesting because we've got customers across men's and women's brands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as you, oh, good. That's good. As it is for women, right? Yeah. And, and well, at, at least for men, they've always had regular, short and long. So they're kind of been ahead of the game there and free alterations. But um, I do think, do you know, with all of your measurements that you have, have you come up with a a way to find out if there's specific size or body shapes or waist lengths that are more more people purchase than other for silhouettes, silhouettes that are? What we have found is, is really interesting. What we have found is that the customers of a brand are different than what the brand thinks they are. Right. And Oh yeah. They're all, they're all designing for Paris Hilton. Right. Right. I mean, there are certain brands literally that I love that I simply will never be able to wear. And it's too bad because if we could say to them, there's a consumer base that is going online and they are scanning themselves and we know what their that we know what their body shape and their measurements are but they will never fit into your brand and what is the the opportunity there for revenue it's it's literally lost revenue because i go somewhere else but i really want to shop that brand because i love their clothing but i can't fit into it not even if i take it to the tailor so yeah. those are the opportunities and true. that kind of data has just never been available before. Never has been. Now it's, you know, up to a brand to, you know, take that risk and understand what that data is telling them and do something about it. 
Yes, and I hope they do. I hope they are. Do you know they some are. that are already? Are they doing it already? Well, I know some of the people that Nadia told me to get in touch with. I think Maeve was one of them. Oh, they're great customers. Me and Maya and Maya and Mika. They're just yeah. and they're sisters and they're so cool and they're really yeah. They, they're we're gonna really. Gonna, speak to them in October, but awesome. I liked what they were doing because she says she's not charging anymore to get your exact custom as you would from the line. So that is a big plus because most bespoke, so to speak, custom is usually three or four times more. So this is a plus, plus, plus for people like me and others that might want to do that. Right. Well, because you're not you're not carrying any inventory. Right. We're right. As the consumer, in that case, you're scanning yourselves and those measurements and shape data are going back to the designer and they are literally creating a pattern for you Mm -hmm. and, you know, and cutting it and shipping it to them. And it's it's they those girls are so they're awesome. You're going to have a great yeah. Yes. And really fun. with this kind of merchandise customized like this, what's the time wait? It's not like six months, like when you're buying and then you wait for it to get shipped, you know, a year ahead or six months ahead. Or if yeah. you go overseas a year before to buy the stuff in China and then wait for it to come in for the following spring or something. Yeah. No, we have a we have a one of our first customers is um, Red Thread. And she, Megan, who's the CEO there, also like super innovative, like just creating an on-demand, she created an on-demand business model and is, and she's proved it out. And Mm -hmm. as a consumer, you go to her website and you, you know, pick the clothing that you want. She sells great fitting pants and Jack will great fitting because she customizes it, but you pick out what you want, jacket, pant. And uh, you purchase it and then you get a text message from Red Thread. It's really 3D look on the back end. And you scan yourself and she gets the measurements and they get a 3D avatar and they literally custom that garment for you and they deliver it back to you. So it's all e-commerce. It's all digital in under 10 days. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, and I can't. Yeah. will wait and pay more for it, right? There are not enough companies doing it yet because they haven't figured out their supply chain, but there is a shift and we get calls every day and we, you know, there are lots of people that are working on the manufacturing piece of it is how do you create an on-demand at home, by the way, like made it here in US. Right. How do you create a man, a supply chain where you can actually manufacture here and not lose your socks because you know it's much cheaper to do it elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I um, am so glad. I'm very happy for the industry for what you are doing. It's like a dream come true. And I hope that all of our listeners today, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I hope that all of our listeners today will go to these people that you have spoken of, like Mive and Red Thread and anyone else that you want to mention, but also all of our retailers that are listening, because I know you are, uh, get a hold of 3D Look, Whitney at 3D Look, and get into this technology because you really, really need it. I mean, this is not maybe I should. This is you have to if you're going to survive, because otherwise it's not going to happen. I've spoken to people all over the world from West Africa, Paris, Italy, London, everywhere. And they are saying they cannot handle any more of our landfill or their landfill. And there just has to be a better way. We have to stop the returns, we have to stop the polyester, and we have to come up, yes, with more fibers that are sustainable. But in the meantime, we have a lot already with cotton, silk, rose petal silk, and uh, hemp, and linen, and there are other other, all sorts of things. There are, and there's lots being developed, as uh, you will see. Innovation and material. 
lots of things are happening. Is there anything else you want to add before I cut us off, Whitney? You've been so gracious and helpful and knowledgeable about all of this. And I really, really say kudos to you. Well, and kudos to you. I always love talking to somebody who's spent time in in the industry. Yes, I did. um, You know, we've seen so much change over the... Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, I think the change that you know, we're seeing right now is um, pretty amazing. And so I'm as excited about the fashion industry today as I was, you know, that first day that I walked into GFT. And yes, York, exactly. Right always something to be excited about. Always something Not to be really excited understanding about. what I was getting myself into, but here we are. So here we are today. Well, still yeah. at it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, you are welcome. And thank you, Whitney. Kath Card for being on our show today from 3D Look. Remember that name and go to my page on voiceamerica.com, the variety channel, and look at all the information on Whitney and other shows you may have missed. But today it's 3D Look, Whitney Cathcart. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much. I got to sign off now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Space of the Waste. Please join host Melody Edmondson again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and Noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next time.